Welcome to the Successful Farming Podcast. I'm Jody Henke. This podcast is brought to you by Grasshopper. With Grasshopper mowers, nothing gets in the way of mow day. As a farmer, you might be thinking that cybersecurity isn't something you need to worry about for your operation, but you do. Malware, ransomware, phishing, and other types of cyber attacks just seem to be getting worse, and none of us are immune from them. Doug Jacobson is a professor of electrical and computer engineering and also the director of the Center for Cybersecurity, Innovation, and Outreach at Iowa State University. He joins me today to talk about ways you can protect yourself against a cyber attack. My first question is, why are we seeing cybersecurity on the rise? I think there's a couple factors. The biggest one is they figured out how to make money. They figured out it's fairly easy money to make with limited risk of any bad consequences. And in part, that's facilitated by things like Bitcoin, the ability to easily transfer money from one person to another anonymously. So that's why they're going after some of the big targets, you know, some of the big you know, people who are going to pay millions of dollars to come back. And they still go after individuals. You know, we're trying to get them to give up, uh, you know, gift cards or other ways to do that payment. So, but it really is driven by, motivation is driven by money. Farmers in rural areas may think, ah, eh, this isn't going to happen to me. But how are farmers being targeted by these cybersecurity attackers? Well, so sort of, again, two categories. I think we look at everybody's being targeted in general. They don't care if you're a farmer, you, know, you own a restaurant or whoever. So there's a group of them out there that are just going to cast a wide net and see who falls for whatever scam they're pushing at the moment. But we are starting to see, especially looking at the recent things with co-ops, et cetera, they've sort of discovered the ag sector. And you've seen this over the last several years. They've moved from sector to sector as a sector starts to realize that they're after them. The sector starts to communicate and, and harden their defenses and people know, oh, the, you know, the hospital down the street got hit. We need to be better prepared. And so they kind of drift. They were in financial for a while. They're, in, they're still in hospitals, but they played against hospitals. There was a period of time when they went after cities, municipalities. Ag seems to be one that they're kind of waking up to. You know, when they go after the big organizations, the co-ops or the banks. Who are they going after in agriculture right now, you think? And we've seen some cases, you know, recently, you know, especially if you look at the ransomware attack, which is the big money attack, you know, they're going after people who they believe cannot function if their computer systems quit working. That's what makes ransomware work. And so the case, you know, it was JBS a while back and, uh, you know, the, the big one, which wasn't ag, but the Colonial Pipeline is the perfect example of a, you know, we're in the East Coast for a week because, you know, what ransomware does is it stops your ability to use your computer systems. And so they're trying to figure out who's most impacted by that. They went after a couple of co-ops here in Iowa that made the news. And uh, how successful the things are really depends on, can you operate? Do you have a backup plan to operate without a computer system? Co-ops are a little better position to do that than a hospital can't operate without a computer. So they're just, they're just out of luck without computers. So part of it is they're just kind of drifting around. And that's if you're looking at the big attacks. They're, they're still after anybody who falls for that. Yeah. And a lot of that comes through our email system, of course. Oh, yes. (laughs) So what are some tips that you have to prevent downloading this malware? You know, it's a hard tip to tell people, but you tell people to be leery. Um, You know, we we by our very nature like to be trusting. And so, you, you know, so you want to be a little suspicious of anything that comes across unsolicited. 
And email tends to be one of their biggest methods to do that. And now they're doing more of emails to get you to go somewhere or to actively participate in the download. We don't see as much sending the malware as an email attachment. In part, we have technology that does a pretty good job of stopping that. So now they're through social engineering, trying to trick you, convince you to download malware. And the bottom line is, is that if, if it's unsolicited, be very suspicious of it. They tend to try to be trusted partner you know, they try to pretend to be your bank or something else. No, your bank will never tell you to do that. You know, no legitimate business is going to tell you to come and download something. You know, one of the things they play the game of, well, you need to download this viewer in order to see this content. No, you don't. There's no special content that needs a viewer. Bottom line is you basically don't really ever need to download anything <laughs> that is an executable. It's okay to download a PDF file and look at it, but the other word of advice, you know, your, your computers are pretty good at trying to stop you from doing bad things that pop up the little messages and says, do you really want to open this? Do you really want to do this? When it's asking you that question, it's trying to protect you. It's not trying to annoy you. So look at what it's saying. Think about what it's asking. Oftentimes the answer is no, but sometimes we get frustrated with the computer constantly doing that. Can you explain what phishing emails are and how to identify one? Yeah, well, phishing, and there's actually several flavors of phishing. So if we look at just general phishing, those are the emails that are pretty generic in nature. They'll pretend to be your bank. They'll have a backstory of why you should do something. Usually it's, you know, your account's been compromised. Sometimes it's you've won a prize. Um, So the whole two sides of that, if it's too good to be true, yes, it probably is. The other side is, the banks and so on aren't going to send you messages like that telling you things have been compromised. If something's been compromised, they'll reach out with you over a phone call. So phishing is really this idea of trying to convince you to do something. And then the phishing gets, you know, they, they talk about spear fish. They talk about phishing that gets more focus. So that would be, they know you're a farmer and now they're going to pretend to be a co-op versus they don't know who you are. And, you know, Half the time, you may even get an email from a bank you don't even do business with, so they don't even know anything about you. So they range from the, they're just trying to get anybody who will answer to, yeah, I know this person is likely a farmer. Therefore, I'm pretending to be a co-op in the area, or I'm pretending to be something a little more generic and trying to, again, convince you to do something. Despite your best intentions, sometimes you still can fall victim to a very cleverly crafted email. So when we come back, Doug's going to tell us what to do if we fall victim to one of these. Stay tuned. It doesn't matter whether you're on the backfield or the front yard. On Mo Day, perfection is a game of inches. It's a battle of fence line and fierce terrain. Out there on that grasshopper mower, You don't let anything stop your stripes. Nothing stands in the way of a job well done. For more on Mow Day and Grasshopper Mowers, visit grasshoppermower.com. Doug, what do you do if you fall victim to malware or a phishing email? A little bit depends on what you fell victim to. The phishing emails try to typically get you to do one of two things. Download the malware. And if you have fallen victim and download malware, Basically, you want to unplug your computer from the network and then find expert advice to help get it back. I mean, if they, you've gotten ransomware on your computer, you're going to need to turn to professionals to help you work through that. 
you should have backups, et cetera, ahead of time. So if you have you know, cloud-based backups, the odds of coming back are pretty good for an individual. The other things I try to do a lot of is they'll get your username and password to something. So they'll pretend to be your bank. You'll log in, you know, quote, log into your, what they say is your bank and you give up your username and password. If you've fallen victim to that, then you need to contact the bank. You need to go in and change usernames and passwords. And if you've used that password anywhere else, you better change it everywhere else you've used it. Let's talk about the importance of strong passwords. How do you create one? What is a strong password? And where do you store them? I mean, everybody needs a password for this, that, and the other thing. It's, it gets to be quite a pain. Yeah, it is quite a pain. Depending on how many you have, you know, let's start with where do you store them? I mean, I use an electronic storage mechanism for my passwords. You know, it's a monthly charge to do that. But when I think about an electronic storage, I'm actually worried about two issues with my passwords. One is I can't remember them. But the other is in the case of something really bad happening. How does my family recover from you know me not being there anymore? So many of these password systems have the ability to have multiple users. So you got that whole, what if something really bad happens? You know, if you have a smaller number of passwords, it's actually not terrible to write them down in a notebook and put them in your desk in your locked house. That's not a terrible thing. It's just you get to the point where there's so many of them, it becomes kind of unwieldy. Good passwords, it's really about how long they are more than how weird they are. So if you think about guessing a password, either through just guessing, because I know your cat's name is Fluffy, versus guessing because I'm going to try all the possible words in the English dictionary. If I make a password that is long, made up of multiple words, even if they're just all normal words, that becomes a strong password because I can't guess it. Now, some places force you to add upper lower case and special characters, but it's really length is the most important thing we talk about because there's two sides to losing your password. There is somebody guesses fluffy. The other is that your passwords are stored on various places and they can get broken into and they will lose the passwords. Now, the passwords are designed in such a way that they can't get them without guessing all possible combinations against that. So you have to guess Fluffy, but they can guess Fluffy with a piece of software. So again, that's why you want a really long password because their software can't guess that. You alluded to saving what's on your computer earlier. What are your tips for backing up your data? You know, various cloud storage is a good mechanism if you feel comfortable with that. You know, Google Drive, any of those Google or, or any service like that. If you feel comfortable with doing it yourself, hard drives you go buy at your favorite store cost almost nothing, a little external hard drive. The downside of an external hard drive is again in disaster recovery. So we kind of also worry about disaster and cyber recovery. If my hard drive is sitting next to my laptop and one of the EF5s blows through like happens periodically and wipes out my house, my hard drive goes away too. So the beauty of the cloud storage is that it's stored somewhere. None of us know where it is. Yeah, right. You yeah. might, but. <laughs> well, but the point is that they then take care of backing up redundancy, et cetera. And the cloud isn't in one place. It literally is all over the country. And so your data is very well protected by being part of the cloud. And for most people, we don't have enough data to really have it cost a whole lot. Most cloud services have a pretty low cost for, for quite a bit of data. 
Same with your phone. My phone is automatically backed up to the same cloud storage that I have my computer connected to for all the pictures and stuff. I don't, have to, I don't want to worry about losing my pictures on my phone. And so they're in the cloud. The beauty of that too is that I can also get at them from my computer so I can see my phone pictures on my computer, which is kind of nice. What about the data on your farm machinery? Is it safe from hackers? We'll talk about that when we return. Stay tuned. It doesn't matter whether you're on the backfield or the front yard. On Mo Day, perfection is a game of inches. It's a battle of fence line and fierce terrain. Out there, on that grasshopper mower, you don't let anything stop your stripes. Nothing stands in the way of a job well done. For more on Mo Day and Grasshopper Mowers, visit grasshoppermower.com. Are you seeing cybersecurity issues with machinery technology at all? We're not seeing it in the ag sector yet, and especially at a, at a farm level, because most of it's not highly automated. You see some automation at processing facilities, but even like a JBS who got hit, you know, most of their factory floor is fairly straightforward and mechanic. I mean, it's conveyor belts move at a, at a fixed rate. You get into, you know, people that are doing more of a distillery or you know, more of a complex chemical process, but they've done a good job of segmentation. Your factory floor is not on the internet. It's all by itself. So, okay. so then a farmer who has advanced technology in his tractor as he's going through the field doesn't have to worry about a hacker getting into that and messing with all of his data. Messing with the tractor, probably not. The little kid somewhere is not going to take over control of your tractor. And But if you start to store all of your field data, et cetera, in your cloud account, then you want to make sure you have multi-factor authentication in front of your accounts. You know, everybody hates it. Username, password, and then it sends you a text message. But that was a word of advice for anything that's important. You want to talk about making your passwords secure. Multi-factor does that. I can give you my password to my bank. Won't do any good unless you have my cell phone. And so any of that critical data and most data services, some of them force you. I can't deal with my bank unless it's multi-factor. They won't let me. So worrying about any of that critical data that you're storing, use multi-factor, use your cell phone as your second factor, because that's really where the threat is, is losing that data. Doug, are there any other tips that you'd like to pass along for keeping farmers up to date on any cybersecurity issues? Well, we focused a lot on things coming in through the email. You need to be also very leery of, you know, they're using text messages. They're using the telephone. You know, as we teach people or people learn how to not do this, that doesn't stop them. They just figure out a new something to do to you. And so the text messages have actually been on the increase using, you know, the links to web pages and so on inside of text messages. They will do some amount of phone that kind of ebbs and flows because it costs them a lot, not in money, but time to interact with you and convince you to, basically they're trying to convince you to download malware when they talk to you on the phone. Although there've been cases where they try to play the game, you know, grandson has been, you know, arrested for OWI and you need to give us money and those things. We see some of that, but we're also seeing a willingness for them to interact more with you. We've seen some simple emails go back and forth. The, Hey, are you free? Do you have a minute pretending to be one of your friends? And that typically eventually leads to them trying to get gift cards out of you. I don't know about you, but I don't think I have any friends who would send multiple emails back and forth to get gift cards from me. If they needed money from me, they would 
pick up the phone and call me and I'd gladly give them money. Yeah. Um, and then I'd call them back to make sure it was really them. <laughs> yes, exactly. But we're not going to play 15 emails back and forth to get $500 worth of gift cards. That just ain't going to happen. All right. Well, thank you very much, Doug. And I guess the words here are, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. So The computer in some sense is almost the perfect vehicle for this to happen because we don't associate it with people. We bought the thing. It's ours. It's sitting on our desk. It's in our house. What we don't understand is all this is, is a way for people to talk to us. And it's no different than the stranger walking up to you on the street with the trench coat and all the watches. But we, for some reason, disassociate the person on the other end because the computer's there. And so we will do things, say things, we'll even post things that we would never say face-to-face to somebody. So I always, and this is more when I'm dealing with younger people, but I always use, uh, what would grandma think if you posted that, if you did that, you know, or if somebody walked up to you face-to-face and asked you to do this, would you? And if the answer is no, then it's probably should be no across the computer. Thanks to Doug Jacobson for being my guest today, to Grasshopper for sponsoring the podcast, and thank you for listening. For Successful Farming, I'm Jody Henke.